Welcome to part eight of Raising an Entrepreneur, an eight-part series on what we can do to help our young people become happy, creative, passionate problem solvers. Let's roll this rock. Entrepreneurs are unique. They embrace the chance to overcome obstacles, solve problems, make the world a better place, and dictate their lives on their own terms while they take on risk. These are their stories. My name is Aaron Stewart, and I have been researching and living entrepreneurship for the past 30 years, and I now welcome you to The Little Black Couch, a journey in entrepreneurship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to joining me on part eight. We've made it. The eighth part the end-all be-all of this eight-part series on raising an entrepreneur. It has been quite the journey. I uh, appreciate you being here. I appreciate the time that you've taken to listen to these podcasts. I appreciate the opportunity just to get all of this stuff out of my head once and for all. It's been bouncing around in there for a decade now, and it's been nice to sort of try to pull it together in some kind of organized shape and, um, and talk about it. So, Thank you very much. I wanted to do a quick review of what, where we've been, sort of our journey over the last um, seven shows, and then jump into the eighth part and hopefully wrap this thing up. I have enjoyed some of your comments that have come in, and definitely there are some, some thoughts for future shows on some points that have been brought up. I appreciate it very much. Some very insightful and excellent questions and comments. Um, I so appreciate it. It's so nice to exchange ideas with people that are thoughtful and that are concerned about our youth and helping them become the best ever generation. Um, so we first started off this way back. It seems like so long ago, but back in part one, it was only last week, but back in part one, we had a good discussion, discussion as we initiated this thing on nature versus nurture in our children and can entrepreneurship, can anything be taught. And essentially the science and the research shows us that yes, I mean, we have the opportunity to really help our children grow into something, become something. And that takes a lot of different strategies in order to get that done. But bottom line, yes, we have the opportunity to um, nurture our young people into extraordinary people. And we hope extraordinary entrepreneurs. In part two, we jumped into what type of coaching does it take? to help these young people become entrepreneurs. There are two different types of coaches. There are those that provide a lot of um, uh, excitement and motivation, and the, the, there are those coaches that are very technical and skilled in their area of expertise, and we need both types. And sometimes we've got people that can do both. So we went into those types of coaching and how they work. Uh, next, we went in on part three, we discussed the importance of encouragement and helping our um, young people understand and stick to what they've, a, a manner in which they have learned successfully their, in their lives from learning how to walk and talk and all of that through nonverbal cues and from um, not being bogged down by failure and being encouraged. And that's really what we focused most on is the art and the science behind encouragement not for actually reaching and accomplishing something, but getting back to when they were walking, that we love to encourage them. So every step of the way, not only encouraging them from our side and making sure that we don't have that flip, right, where we hold back our encouragement and we only provide, you know, 
um, congratulatory expressions when they've actually accomplished something. We literally get more involved in the process and help them feel motivation from our encouragement, right, when they take any sort of step. And along those same lines, we help them to see by through our, our own actions, but also through um, helping them and having this conversation that they need to make sure that they are the kind of people that notice their um, actions, right, their effort, and that they are encouraging themselves and getting themselves the kudos all throughout the process instead of getting into the trap of holding back all of this self-congratulatory feelings, these dopamine hits um, for the act of working towards something. Um, but instead, encouraging them the whole way along, that becomes a much better and healthier way to sustain a very optimistic and positive attitude all along the path of trying to achieve something because the benefit and the beauty and the enjoyment and the joy comes in the process. Not, it's not held back waiting for some future event to occur. And then there's a big celebration there and there's misery in between. We want to smooth that out and make sure that all the encouragement and effort is, is rewarded all the way along. And then the achievement just becomes sort of a, a natural conclusion to all the effort that we've put in instead of the sort of the, the big crowning moment of our effort. It just becomes the obvious uh, finishing point. And then we get to move on to the next project. So that is encouragement, part three. Part four, we get into this idea that failure, no failure needs to be final, but also that failure needs to be seen as a positive aspect of our lives. So we wouldn't learn to walk unless we've fallen. We talk about um, how nobody successful has ever gotten to where they are unless they have been willing to fail, right? They're, the In order for us to, a positive step towards any type of improvement, we'll always have a few stumbling blocks and steps along the way where we don't make it. And that's just the beauty of being human and part of the reason why um, becoming successful is such a great journey if we're careful with it. And that's another way to do it, to make sure that through this effort and encouragement of effort that when failure occurs, we don't see that as a negative. We see that as one way of not doing it. And that just gets us closer to the better way of doing it. Right. So that was part four. Uh, part five, we jumped into the um, this, this idea of, of self-image and trust, making sure that we have um, situational uh, environments around them that helps them to see that they are worth something. So making sure that we give them the opportunity to choose and make decisions for themselves, to make sure that we are not helicopter type adult supervisors, but we give them some freedom to do and choose, even if we don't necessarily agree with their choices, as long as they're not harmful and as long as they're not addictive behaviors, right? So focusing them into whatever that is, so they can learn to develop passions, of course, but also have this really good self-image um, by talking to them, asking them questions, appreciating their opinion, and also giving them the ability to trust themselves because they are given the opportunity to make decisions. And if somebody doesn't trust themselves, and we, we've talked about some stats here that only 19% of current millennials trust other people to do the right thing, which means that they don't trust themselves to do the right thing. And if we don't trust ourselves and we don't trust others, this idea of, of being concerned with others and having that connection 
we start feeling isolated. And then as entrepreneurs, as problem solvers for the world, we need that perspective of what the world's going through. So we need to feel like we've got this connection and we need to trust in ourselves and have the self-image that we can create solutions for people. Our youth need that. Okay. In part number six, we talked about the power of questions um, and the science behind asking a question. A question stops the brain in its tracks and then gives us the ability and it stops the brain in its track because it's looking for the behavior that usually comes after in the form of a question. And so we can ask them very powerful, well-constructed um, questions to help them move towards very healthy and helpful behaviors. And this is one where we kind of had, hey, don't use this, you know, don't be evil with this. Let the kids really decide what they want to do. Ask their opinions. Listen. Um, ask questions about behaviors that are good and healthy and right and let them move towards that behavior. But also give them the opportunity to think, um, to have this sort of constructive um, creativity flow from them and give answers and possible solutions to questions and situations that we see around us and help them see and connect with the outside world by asking them in qu questions, discussing with them the problem and seeing what types of, of answers they come up with and never allowing our children to give excuses when they don't get something done. Let's rather, let's teach them to take responsibility, say, yeah, I didn't do it because I didn't want to, and then discuss what the consequence for that is, but definitely let them know, hey, I'd much rather hear you give me a reason they give me an excuse to start pushing it off. Because when we give excuses, we start to lose self-image. Um, we're, not, we're not standing up for ourselves, essentially. And so now we've damaged the self-image in the child without really knowing about it. Let's make sure they take responsibility for themselves, accept that comment for whatever it is, then have a discussion with them, discuss the consequences, have consequences, do the follow-up, and help them to see that taking responsibility is a really positive thing for them in their lives. Okay, and part seven, what we discussed last time, is the beauty of changing one's perception. Where any sort of negative situation happens to us, instead of saying, woe is me, or why is me, or why did this happen to me, turn it around and say, hey, if this is the last time this happens to me, or what can I learn from this situation so the next time it happens, it's better. And we turn that thing on its head and we make sure that our perception is one that accepts the changes and the downturns in life and turns them into something that can be positive, even if it's not necessarily the way it's going to play out, then we've trained ourselves to take every situation that comes in, spin it, to keep ourselves in a very proactive, healthy, problem-solving and creative place instead, instead, of giving, instead of getting drugged down into a place where our there, our kids are now worried and not in a place where they can feel safe and be creative and be connected uh, to the world. And that is the art of changing one's perception. So cool. Thank you so much. That's a quick review. We are now getting into the final part of our eight-part series. And this one is, is interesting. It's about compassion, intimidation, and... Um, and really, self-image. Uh, and I'll, I'll jump into this a little, a, a little way. So in, uh, again, I, I don't want to go, I, I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable, but please take this for what it's worth. 
And along these same lines, however you need to get to this point and however you need to discuss this with your children, great. It's really more about the concept than it is anything else. So our children are in a world now where we have as a society um, somehow or another mixed things up so badly that we see people who have achieved some great thing as somehow or another of more value you know, than the rest of us. And that has proven to be really one of the most devastatingly uh, destructive situations on earth, in my opinion. Um, now we've got people that are willing to do whatever it takes in order to achieve some kind of perceived success, whether it's robbing, stealing, doing whatever, um, because they seem to be looking for something that they believe is possible if they have a whole bunch of whatever they're looking for, right? A status, a fame, money, whatever, notoriety, whatever it is. And that sadly is based on a very false premise. And that premise is that somehow or another, our achievements make up our worth. Now in the Bible, Peter states um, that God is no respecter of persons and neither should we be, more or less. I'll simplify it very much. And whether you believe in God or not, or whether you believe that Peter was a prophet or any of those things, doesn't really matter. This concept is one that's a very healthy way for our young people to see the world, and it's a very healthy way for them to grow and become their, their very best selves. Because um, it goes back more to the effort. Um, it goes back to more of having intrinsic value and that value not being dictated by any sort of accomplishment or failure. So you can see the benefit there. It doesn't matter what you succeed in. It doesn't matter what you fail in. Your worth doesn't, isn't tied to those things. Um, now, what you are able to accomplish in life is tied to those things, and that's a totally different discussion. But in order to have a healthy view of accomplishments and getting better, we need to have a very healthy view of what our worth is. So essentially, what our children need to understand that from the very first moment um, of their lives, they were worth as much as they ever possibly could, and that value will never change until their very last breath. And even, you know, that just never changes. It doesn't matter. So from their very first moment of life to the very last moment of life, their worth is exactly the same. And it's priceless. There's no value you can put on it. A human life is exactly that. It's priceless, period, right? Now, this becomes a very important concept for them to understand because it does a lot of really cool things for them going forward. And it does a lot of really cool things for all of us. But how do we go about sort of teaching this? Well, we make sure that when we're out and about, that they're always using very good manners, that it doesn't matter who you run into, you treat everybody the same. I had a very hard time in, uh, I, I served a, a mission, uh, as a missionary in our church in Japan. And in Japan, they have these different levels, and you speak differently to different folks in different levels based on how their perceived uh, authoritative level, you know, what they've accomplished in their lives, how old they are, what they are in far as business. I mean, there was just so many different ways to try to figure out what type of Japanese, what level of Japanese you should speak to them. Should you speak honorifically? If you, if you speak honorifically to somebody below you, then that's embarrassing. And if you don't speak honorifically enough for somebody that's four levels above you, then that's a problem. And so there was all this stuff built in there. And I'm like, 
What a complicated mess, especially when it's absolutely untrue. And I had been taught from a very young age that everybody's worth the same and everybody's valuable and everybody's wonderful. And so this, this attitude is one that provides um, young people a great ability to go into any situation and be comfortable, as comfortable as they possibly can be, because they're not intimidated, because nobody in that room is worth any more than they are, but they're also not prideful and looking down their noses at anybody because nobody in any situation is worth less than them and, and they have no right to be prideful at all. Um, and yet that is a society that we're in. So teaching somebody to operate as uh, seeing uh, the world this way gives them great, unique powers to solve problems. Because now everybody's problem is important because everybody's seen uh, in a similar fashion. And those are the most complex and complete problem solvers because they're not just trying to solve the problems of the rich or the poor. They're just trying to come up with a solution that best serves humanity. And those are always the best solutions. Okay. But to make sure that our children understand this, there's some things that I've implemented and some things that I felt very strongly about throughout my life that has been super helpful. And so one thing is I do not and will not ever ask for an autograph. I do not understand the point of it. It's literally admitting that somehow or another, somebody who's achieved something, they now have some kind of a right or weird um, position where if they sign their name on a piece of paper, that somehow or another has value. And then we actually are showing that they have value because we'll sell these things and do stuff like that. Well, it's preposterous. It's just a piece of paper. Now, I will accept autographs on checks that I can go and go cash at the bank. Those make sense to me. But taking somebody else's autograph just to have somebody sign a piece of paper means nothing at all other than we are somehow or another admitting to ourselves that we believe their uh, ink blot on a piece of paper is somehow or another more valuable than our own. And I don't think that's not healthy. It's completely false. I have the... Um, opportunity or misfortune or something to ride in a airplane from Atlanta to Los Angeles. And on that flight, um, a few rows in front of me happened to be, um, oh, I don't know, uh, one of the Kardashian people. And I don't know who they are. My wife will kill me. I don't know which one it was. It was the original one, the one, the, the nasty video girl. Anyway, so she was there and there was people coming up, taking pictures with her and doing all this stuff. And I was so uncomfortable uh, with, and some of them were young girls. And I was like so uncomfortable because these young girls, somehow or another, what these people have accomplished. And I still don't know exactly what that is. I know that they've got some business and stuff, but it seems somewhat nefarious how they got there and their path to this whatever success I don't, I don't know. Now, their value is the same as mine, and so I've got no problem with that. Um, I, just had, I just have this real uncomfortable feeling, and I think our children should have this real uncomfortable feeling when individuals worship kind of other individuals um, because what's the point? We're all the same. Now, we can sit down and talk to one another and help one another, and I believe that every single one of us has some wonderful genius, and we want our children to... 
um, tap into what their wonderful genius is. And, and through this eight-part series, that's what we've been trying to do is help them figure out why they're unique and what their um, contribution will be to the world, what their problems solve, what their, the problems they're going to solve to the world, what those are going to be and how to best get them in a place where they're prepared to do such a wonderful service. So this type of thing makes, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you're trying to teach a child that their value is the same as everybody else's. They are no better and they are no worse and they are priceless. Um, again, this gives them the ability to be wonderfully compassionate to everybody. From a server to a um, VP of the United States to whatever, to adults, to, to cousins younger than them, everything. They should respect everybody the way they respect themselves. And this will give them the very best opportunity to see the world in a way in which their problems will solve more people, more humanity, with more compassion. And they will not be intimidated because they understand that they are every bit as wonderful as everybody else's. Um, a, a really interesting example that I came across today, and this is where, this is where people have messed up. And this is what I worry about when we talk about youth. Um, we talk about these, these people of fame, like the Kardashian people, and like um, Kevin Durant, for example, a basketball player who has been playing with the Golden State Warriors, who is very talented. They have won a number of world championships together. He is now moving on. He got hurt in this year's playoffs. He is now moving on, and he will be playing in Brooklyn once he's healed up again. And I read a very interesting article about sort of what had, what had happened to him to get him to a point where he would leave the Golden State Warriors, who were arguably on the verge of being maybe the best basketball dynasty of all time, and now that's sort of broken up and gone in different directions. But, but why would that break up and what had gone on? And so this, this uh, article tapped into the fact that, that Kevin Durant, after their first victory, their first championship as a group at Golden State, that he went into the summer feeling really despondent and depressed. And he worked with a guy named Steve Nash. And Steve Nash used to be a, he was a league MVP, played for the Suns, um, point guard, um, really fun to watch, great shooter, um, really good with the reporters, always gave great interviews. And anyway, he was working, the Steve Nash was a consultant and was working with Durant. And, 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 and Steve Nash said the following, and this is a quote, he didn't have a great summer he was searching for what it, what it all meant. He thought a championship would change everything, and he found out it doesn't. He was not fulfilled. Okay. Boy, there's the problem. Is, uh, we don't need in our children, we don't need in our youth, for them to believe that somewhere out there, some achievement or some accomplishment is the Holy Grail that they're going, we don't want them to live with, when I get here, then I'll be happy. When I get, when I achieve this, then I'm gonna be okay. That is a horrible place to live. That kills creativity, that puts you in a, a, a very weird state, a very, you have a very poor perception of what the world is. You are not uh, in, uh, living and rewarding yourself with your effort. You are not encouraging yourself. That is not, that is not a life well lived. That is a sad life. To think of all the work that Kevin Durant has put in over the course of his career to become a 
uh, uh, arguably one of the best basketball players, at least of this generation, and get to the point where he's reached the absolute pinnacle of his sport and won a world championship, and now done it a few times, and to feel unfulfilled, that is a disastrous life. That is a disgusting, horrible life. And he's got millions of dollars. He's got people cheering his name. He's got silly people going up and ask, asking for him to do an eat what something or other on a piece of paper. He has all of this stuff showered on him and he is not finding any peace in his life. It's a disaster. It does not happen. We have Hollywood stars committing suicide with drug problems. We have, we have um, CEOs um, killing themselves. We have, it's a disaster. These, we have, a, it is horrible. You can literally be happier with far less if you go about it the right way. And that's what our kids, kids need to understand. And if they do understand that, they will not only have wonderful lives, they will be wonderfully creative, compassionate, and they will look to help other people. And they will do it from a place in which they're already happy. It won't be the problem they solve that makes them happy. The problem they solve will be a result from them living a very happy and content life being focused on making sure that all of their effort is rewarded in the moment, the whole time. Not waiting for something else to do it for them, but take responsibility for their happiness. Take responsibility of making sure that they are rewarding their own effort and creating these people that are motivated and driven from a very happy, positive place that see everybody as the same and wonderful and priceless. And then go out and solve humanity's problems so the rich and the poor and everybody can benefit. Those are the types of entrepreneurs that we're looking for. Those are the types of entrepreneurs that we're trying to raise. Those are the honestly the types of entrepreneurs we hopefully can become. And all of these things that we've talked about over the course of these last eight shows is to get us to that point. <sighs> Let's enjoy the journey. Let's allow the passions inside of us to grow. Let's make sure that we see everybody as valuable, that we're not intimidated, that we feel compassion, that we may be in a safe place where our most creative ideas can flow, where we're not afraid of failure, but we see failure as a positive step towards whatever's coming next. And along every step of the way, whatever is next is perceived as something that's positive and wonderful and moving us forward. And every step and every action is accounted for and is encouraged. And our effort is wonderful and powerful. And then this, the successes and the problems we solve will be the ones that are most important. And yet, because we have celebrated the whole way, they will be the most satisfying. Because when we get there and we solve the problems, we will have already experienced the joy all the way along, and that will simply be our gift to humanity. Thank you for joining me in this eight-part series. Um, there will be more. We will think more and talk more, and I'm looking forward to it. Until then, be good and live well. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. If there's anything you heard today that you enjoyed, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, 
or subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted when the next episode is available. Until then, here's to all the entrepreneurs out there. Let's go get it done.